Our second scripture reading is from 2 Kings 5, 1 through 14. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said was, wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. The Word of God. Children, our own Sunday school children, brought us a message this day, For God so loved the world. As they gather and sing and disperse, do we simply look at them, talk about how cute they are, how shy or outgoing, see if they meet our approval and saying, oh, how nice? Or do we really hear the words they're singing and take those words into our hearts? We make a mistake if we dismiss or ignore the words of their singing, the words of their message. A child can be a bearer of all the good news we need for a time or a season. They know when others are really listening 
just as we do. We have a lot to distract us in our world, but actually listening is really important. For God so loved the world was their message. Children aren't empty vessels. They have their own praise and calling to offer to God. And this morning we were blessed by their presence and their praise. So God gives to each person in every and any situation the ability for service and blessing and praise. So I titled my sermon today, A Move Toward Abundant Life. I don't know, Jim's probably said it to you, one of the hardest things to do sometimes is get a title for your sermon. You get it like after you've preached half of it usually. But a move toward abundant life, you know, it's really important to do that, move toward abundant life. We get bogged down sometimes. Abundant life just doesn't fall on us. We have to participate. So I wonder, can we, like Naaman, really listen to those around us, no matter their apparent prestige, and actually hear what they have to say? Can we listen to what they have to tell us, listen for the words spoken that sometimes might actually be for us at that time the word of God? Now Mark's story of Jesus reaching out and touching a humble leper who dared to ask for cleansing and healing, and the story of Naaman from Kings are about two persons who need the same physical healing, yet they're in quite different positions. They each seek cleansing from disease, but come at it from entirely different perspectives. The man in front of Jesus has nothing, no community except maybe other lepers, no family, no religious rights, no standing anywhere. However, apparently, Naaman still lives with his family, serves his king in the second highest position in the land, worships with his king, and is respected as a great leader. The leper in front of Jesus kneels down and begs, saying, if you choose, make me well. In contrast, Naaman expects a show of power to match his position and status. But in the end, both are healed, both praise God for their healing, and both let others know about the God that they now will serve because they've been recipients of God's gracious love and healing. I want to look a little more closely at the story in Kings. Naaman had considered everything his nation, his position, his king, his religion, his family, his position had for him, and none of it worked. After all, leprosy, this terrible disease of the skin, this terrible stigma that was so easily seen by anyone who approached, this terrible eating away almost of who he was in the sight of his king and his family, his troops, his nation, put Naaman in an embarrassing situation, not to mention probably a debilitating and dangerous one as well. A little girl, far from home, far from family, far from everything she knew, was heeding the prophet Jeremiah's words, though she probably didn't know that, to settle down in the land to which she had been taken beyond her control or desire, in defeat of her nation and in victory of her captors, to settle in the land, to be content for the present, and even to pray for the prosperity of this foreign land and its people. In taking this attitude, she desired healing and wholeness for the husband of the woman whom she'd been chosen to serve. But make no mistake about it, 
she was a slave, ultimately and fully under Naaman's control. She had no way of knowing if she would ever be free or allowed to return to her home. But some way this young soul knew that the welfare of all around would be served well by her God, the God of gods, whom she and her kin worshipped. If only, she said, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. No maybe, no perhaps, no I think, but he would. Some way this little girl, who so many would ignore in normal circumstances, knew intuitively that community was more important than individuality, that justice, even when she had been the victim of injustice, was more important than vengeance, that liberation for her master from his dreaded disease was more important than her own liberation, that salvation could be only found in one place, and that place was occupied by her God and the God of her people in the land she knew as home. Now, when Naaman and his entourage arrived in Israel, King Jehoram, Israel's king, feared that war would result because he couldn't perform the miracle cure requested by the king of Aram for Naaman. But we see that apparently a captive slave girl in Damascus knew what this Israeli king did not know, that there was a prophet in Samaria who could perform the miracles of God. The king saw only impossibilities. He was fearful, distressed, and angry. The slave girl saw possibilities. She offered a suggestion of help and healing, which she knew was available. Now on the surface, we could say that the healing of Naaman's skin disease was a simple miracle like so many others in the Bible. Yet there are some differences. Elisha did not invite Naaman in, nor did he come out of his house to meet him. So there was Naaman with his horses and chariots and all those gifts he had brought, and Elisha sent a servant out to say, go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. Why didn't Elisha come out to touch or to see or to give some difficult task to Naaman as a condition for healing? Surely any one of those actions would have shown respect for this great man who had won many victories. But that wasn't the purpose. Instead, God wanted to show that simple actions, faith and humility, were all that were required. Only because Naaman's servants prodded him to take a chance, because maybe, just maybe, healing would result, did Naaman set aside his ego and pride and take that chance. And if we notice, really, faith didn't have to come first. In the case of the leper with Jesus, he had faith in Jesus' ability to heal, for he said, if you choose, I know you can. But Naaman came to faith after he was made clean. Naaman was healed because he was willing to set aside the power and honor of position and listen to the advice of a captive slave girl. Go to an alien king to request a favor, and then finally, after, as we saw, some show of arrogance, 
to follow the simple advice and reasoning of his own servants to wash himself seven times in the Jordan River, even though it was muddy, unlike the rivers back home. We might ask, why did God heal this outsider? But then we might also ask, why not? In the New Testament, we see Jesus often approaching those who were considered outsiders. The reason God healed Naaman is the same as always, so that the one healed and all those around can recognize that God is God. Through this healing, Naaman came to know that there is no other God beside the God of Israel. He asked for soil from the ground of Israel to set up an altar when he got back home in Aram, which is ancient Syria. Naaman did not become a disciple to God by saying yes to the healing that he'd received when he was humbled, when he washed in those muddy waters of the river. To begin with, his theology was shallow, it was incomplete, it was naive. But as we see Paul writing in his letter to Titus, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. A simple act of obedience, dipping himself in the Jordan seven times, not a dramatic act of God's prophet coming out and making a big show of healing, is often the way God cleanses people of their afflictions. It was God's script, not Naaman's, nor even Elisha's, that brought that healing and deliverance. And we see that Elisha didn't condemn Naaman for his lack of understanding. Instead, he sent him on his way. You might want to read the rest of the story. It's kind of interesting. He sent him on his way with the dirt and all that he'd brought to pay for healing, all his riches saying, go in peace. We have a hard time sometimes doing the same when another seems to be lacking in understanding of the correct theology. Yet we see that there was much room for grace in Elisha's theology. Naaman became a disciple of God when he went back home to a land and culture who did not know Israel's God, when he used the soil from the land to build an altar and he worshiped on that spot to the one true God and when he realized that he needed forgiveness, even before he committed the act needing that forgiveness. Do we do that? Do we think about that, ask forgiveness, even before we know we need it sometimes? Naaman surely was challenged to remember who God is and to live in that remembrance. It's difficult to step out of our culture, our job, uh, out of one service to the reigning power. Naaman, we suppose, did all these things while faithfully continuing to serve as commander in Aram. In doing so, he set an example of devotion and humility. He provided others with the opportunity to question him about this God of creation and all of life. Now, I notice, I'm not sure why he does it, but I notice that Jim always mentions that he reads the lectionary texts. Well, the text for today are the lectionary texts. And there's another one, and it's Psalm 30, and I'm going to read that as well. You may want to follow along. 
Psalm 30 is a Thanksgiving song originally composed for a worship service celebrating healing from a life-threatening illness. Everyone present was invited to celebrate in concert with the one who'd been healed, and many, no doubt, could directly relate because they'd also been in life-threatening situations at one time or another. So here is Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you have established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. People who have been close to death, who were sure they were about to die, but who did not die, those who instead are spared or saved or rescued, usually look at life differently. Most praise God. Some thank they're lucky stars, I guess. But every day, they live fearlessly because they consider themselves living on extra time. Death, or what looks and feels like death, even what allows one to remain bodily alive but spiritually and emotionally dead, can only be conquered by God's gift of salvation and redemption which we are given through Jesus the Christ. When that sparing from death occurs, one cannot but praise and thank God, sing to God. Weeping turns into rejoicing, wailing turns into dancing. Silence is conquered by singing, giving thanks to God forever. Invitation is issued for others to join in the chorus. I have two short stories, one old and famous and the other newer and known only locally. The old and famous one is of Martin of Tours, born in 315 or 316 in Pannonia, a Roman province that includes uh, the modern-day Hungary. Martin was a young soldier in the Roman army. On garrison duty at Amens on a bitterly cold winter day, elegantly dressed and mounted on his horse, the young tribune Martin was about to ride through the gates when he was accosted by a leper begging him for alms. The sight and the stench of rotting flesh was so repulsive that his first instinct was to ride by. The beggar's clothes were so thin that he was almost naked. He was shaking and blue from the cold, but no one reached out to help him. Martin, 
overcome with compassion, took off his mantle. In one quick stroke, he slashed the lovely mantle in two with his sword, handed half to the freezing man, and wrapped the remainder around his own shoulders. Many in the crowd thought that this was so ridiculous that they laughed and jeered, but some realized that they were seeing Christian goodness. That night, Martin dreamed that he saw Jesus wearing the half mantle that he had given to the beggar. Jesus said to the angels and the saints that surrounded him, See, this is the mantle that Martin, yet a catechumen, gave me. Now, a catechumen is one who's under extensive instructions to become baptized. When he woke up, it was the yet a catechumen that spurred Martin on, and he went immediately to be baptized. He was only 18 years old. From that time, he refused to kill, and he was eventually released from the army, and he lived a life of service to God. That's how he became St. Martin of Tours. The second is a man I knew, Ed Vees, from West Shore Baptist Church in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. He had come through a time just as the psalmist had and was singing God's praise. He had a very bad heart attack and was not expected to live, let alone recover to full function. He promised God a celebration if and when he pulled through. He did, and he kept his promise. Though Ed has since died, what he began continues every year as individuals and groups come together to give a free concert singing praises of thanksgiving to God for all of God's blessings. Years ago, it was moved from the church that seats about 350 to the high school auditorium so more could attend. How do we remain open to the transforming power of God? allowing our lives to be a light that breaks through the darkness in major difficulties. The captive little girl was able to remain strong in her faith, believing that the source of all power for good rested in the God of creation that she'd learned about in her native land. She was willing to share the hope of salvation and restoration with the cap her captives, captors. Well, we're captive in our world of sin, but we need not act the victim or the captive because we know that our God seeks that all be well, all be free, all be full of grace, and all be led by the Holy Spirit who resides willingly within each one of us. So like the little girl, can we, as the children did this morning in their singing, sing of God's love for all? I pray we can. Amen and amen. I invite you to sing There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. It's 